This is episode 34. Welcome to Popcast. Hello, welcome to the Popcast, the pop culture podcast from Vernacular. We're your hosts, Maureen and Josh Goldman. Each week, we'll dive into the latest in pop culture with our three regular segments. First, the snack bag, where we cover some smaller stories from the past week. Second, the marquee topic, where we dive in-depth into one pop culture story or event. And third, the teasers, where we give our suggestions for pop culture content you might have missed, but should definitely check out. Maureen, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Thank you for welcoming me back. I feel welcomed. Listeners, I just want to paint you a picture here since you can't see us. Tiny chairs! It's Valentine's Day, the most romantic day of the year. We're sitting on the on the floor of our bedroom recording this podcast. Maureen looks like she's in <laughs> the Arctic tundra. I'm wearing a blanket. She's got like a blanket a on. Shawl. She's got long sleeve pajamas. It's she's got winter. a heating pad. It's, I mean, I it's not that chilled. cold. I'm I in shorts delightful. and a t-shirt. I basically set up a spa for myself. So I'm recording in a spa is how I feel. Well, what a romantic Valentine's Day for us. You really do look like I you're asked in Josh what he wanted Arctic. to do on Valentine's Day, and he was like, record, record the, the podcast. podcast. So I said that this is my Valentine's Day gift to you, honey. We've been doing it for how many episodes? This is our 34th episode. Right. I just introduced that. Um, right, right, right. <laughs> Paying attention. <laughs> I don't want. It's I don't over want our, half a year. It's a long time. Yeah, I don't want our listeners to think that we aren't celebrating with a date night. We're tomorrow night. We're gonna have a date night. We're gonna order Chinese food. We're gonna watch a movie, have some wine. So we're just moving it back a day. We also had a great day with like our little family. And yeah, we did. But we're gonna do our date on a Friday night as opposed to a Thursday night, which is Valentine's Honey, Day. Honey, every day is Valentine's Day with you. Oh wow, that's so kind. Speaking of Valentine's Day. Wait, sorry. Wait, we can't go past Valentine's Day without saying. So we didn't do presents or anything this year. But Josh cleaned like the whole house today. And I just think it's the best Valentine's present I've ever gotten. Well, not the whole house. Maybe a third of the house. There was vacuuming and bathroom cleaning involved, you guys. Very special. I performed a regular duty around the house. And it was the best gift I could give. You're welcome. I'm glad that you liked it. Speaking of Valentine's Day. The first snack bag topic tonight, I was browsing the internet today while I was doing some work, and I came across the story that Kanye West got a very special gift for his wife, Kim Kardashian, for Valentine's Day. What did he get her? He got her a bunch of single roses in in little jars or little uh, vases that he put in a room that had no other furniture, and then he hired saxophonist Kenny G to come and play. For Kim Kardashian. In a room full of tiny rosebuds? It was so weird. It, this room looked like it was completely empty. I don't know if it was in their How house. How much or... did he have to pay Kenny G to do that? I don't know. But apparently Kim Kardashian was floored by Kanye's gesture, said he was the best husband ever. So Maureen, I'm sorry I didn't get you Kenny G with roses today. How amazing would it be right now if I just like opened the closet door and, and Kenny, Kenny G, G was, was here? There. That would be... <laughs> I don't know what I would do. I think I would be a little stunned that there was a man in our closet the whole day that I didn't notice I was there. I think I'd be like, Kenny G, you like listened to me do my yoga for 20 minutes. Like, I think the- I'd be, I think I'd wonder how he'd fit next to all the, the laundry we have in there. Maureen, next snack bag topic. We're talking Oscars again, but this time the telecast just seems to be going downhill every yeah, day. Yeah, the Oscars are hurting. I, I'm really curious to see what is actually going to happen on the 24th when the, when the ceremony happens. But the Academy announced that they are going to cut four 
categories from the telecast. So As in those people can't make speeches on TV. Right. So there are 24 categories. They're going to cut four from the telecast. This is all in an effort to speed up the show. They're trying to keep it at three hours exactly, which I don't think is going to happen. I, I don't think that what the, that what they're doing here by cutting categories from the telecast is really going to help. But they've decided to cut the following categories. Cinematography, editing, hairstyling and makeup. Which and was then, shocking to me. That was And then best short film live action. I think that the one, the two that really get me are the cinematography and editing. I mean, these are two things that you cannot make a movie without. I suppose you could make a movie without editing if you just filmed for an hour straight. But cinematography, that is the art of capturing the image of a film. I don't understand why you wouldn't present that in the telecast seem like a huge category, especially when it comes to technical categories. That might be the biggest one. Yeah. It just seems like a slap in the face to these creators. It was interesting in the article, a lot of famous people were saying like, these are the two things that make film film. Like this isn't like coming from, you know, it's not a writing derived from like script writers or it's not, you know, I makeup could have a visual art component, but this is like, this is unique to film. And those are the two that they're choosing not to show. I can't imagine that cutting four categories is going to cut, you know, an excess of 30 plus minutes from a telecast. It it seems like it might cut 10 minutes maybe. And, And I guess their plan is to air the speeches during the telecast at some point, but they'll be edited down. So they're going to present them during the commercial breaks and then they will show parts of the speeches. Didn't we later. already save time because we don't have a host doing like an intro for 10 minutes? But like the, you have to imagine there's going to be some intro. What are they just going to come out and start presenting awards? I mean, I, I mean, have to imagine there's going to be something. I would think that they would something. cut the freaking stupid intros before they would cut the awards. If they're cutting the awards, I assume they've already cut those other fluffy things. I guess we'll see. I don't know. So we'll tune in on February 24th to find out. Next snackback topic. This is just something fun that that I saw this past week and I wanted to talk about on the on the show. There is a trailer for a movie that's coming out in the summer. The movie is called Yesterday, and I have to say, as it's, in yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Bow, bow. Now it seems as if they're. I thought you were going to cut me off. Oh, I don't. <laughs> I was just going to let you sing until you want to here to stay. Okay, that's that's quite oh, enough. Oh, I believe. In yesterday. Can you tell why Maureen's not a professional recording artist? <laughs> I don't even know what that voice was. I don't know either. Well, how deep can I possibly see? So there's a new movie called Yesterday, directed by Danny Boyle, who directed Slumdog Millionaire. He's an Academy Award winning director. I just think that the premise for this film, which is the following, a man wakes up after a global event of some kind and he's the only one in the entire world who remembers that the Beatles existed. So he knows all of their songs. And since no one knows that they existed, he's a musician himself. He then starts to play the Beatles songs and everybody thinks he's the greatest singer-songwriter ever on earth. This was my last gig. If it has happened by now, it's like a miracle. Miracles happen. Electricity flicked off all over the world. Cheese! <laughs> Yesterday, Ellie bought you a present. All my troubles seem wow. so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. 
I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? John, Paul, George and Ringo, the Beatles. No. Stop it. Yesterday. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. Well, it's not Coldplay. It's not Fix You. Do you genuinely not know who the Beatles are? Genuinely. Then I'm in a really, really, really complicated situation. I think that this when premise for a movie might be one of my favorite movie premises that I've ever heard. And the trailer is just delightful. Yeah, so basically it's like, you know, he'll go on talk shows and they're, they're like, can you write us a song right now? And he'll just like play the chorus of a Beatles song. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. Like he's changing the world. I'm really curious to see how the movie actually comes out because the trailer makes it look really fun. And I think the other thing that makes it so interesting and so lighthearted and fun is that everybody knows all the Beatles songs. So it's fun to see them a little bit reimagined. There's a great part in the trailer where real life Ed Sheeran is, is uh, he's like coaching him. He's coaching these, this guy in the recording studio when he's recording Hey Jude and Ed Sheeran's character says, what if it was, Hey, dude, instead of Jude. Which is just really funny because we know that Hey, Jude works so well. So I'm really excited for this movie. It comes out in June, I believe. And I just thought it was a really fun trailer release from this past week. We'll link it in the show notes so you can check it out. Our last snack bag topic this week. We had a big awards show last weekend. It was the Grammys aka music's biggest night it was a bit of a bloated show in my opinion it ran almost four hours long they're not caring about cutting they're not caring about cutting anything and the interesting thing about the grammys is though there are something like 80 plus awards given out at the grammys only nine are done on the main telecast so over four hours there's only nine awards given out and the rest is just performances and intros and things like that So the big winners for the night, Casey Musgraves, who I talked about on the show as one of my favorite things from last year, her album Golden Hour won Album of the Year. It's a great album and I think deserving. For the first time ever, a hip-hop artist won Record of the Year and Song of the Year. That was Childish Gambino, This Is America, which is also really cool. Very important, good song. And the music video, if you haven't seen it, is definitely worth checking out. So go ahead and check that out. We'll link it in the show notes. Had 20 million viewers, not up or down, consistent from last year, which is pretty good. And it was hosted by Alicia Keys. What did you think of what you saw of Alicia Keys? And what did you think of some of the performances we saw? So I have to admit that music is not necessarily my strong suit. I spent a lot of my uh, adolescence and youth listening to musical theater um so i was like one of those nerds and so i don't know a lot of like cool popular music even now i don't listen to the radio a whole ton um sometimes when i'm driving but i think i'm behind in the music scene so the grammys have never been something that i've really felt tapped into now i know josh has spent a large part of his career working in the music industry so this is something he knows a lot more about than i do but i was just kind of struck with like I think that you can get a good feel of it from the intro to the Grammys. Alicia Keys kind of coming out on stage and she's in this beautiful kind of green jumpsuit with this beautiful rainbow colored scarf on her head. And like, she was so gracious and warm and inclusive. And it was almost like 
as a viewer who has spent a lot more time watching like film and TV award shows, I was kind of like, wow, this is so much better. It's more comfortable. People were like cheering for her in a way that felt genuine and not just like, okay, who's she going to make fun of? She was like pointing out people in the audience and thanking them. And I will just say like right off the bat, they panned the audience, which is this like smiling, diverse group of people. Like literally, I just, I was just marveling at like how many different walks of life from young to old, all different races, all different genders, obviously because music is many different genres. And so that covers a a wide variety of demographics. But I just remember thinking like, gosh, the Oscars has such a hard time with diversity. The Grammys is like knocking it out of the park. And why is that? And I don't necessarily have the answer, but there were a couple of things that they said in the intro that I really just liked and made me think and think I want to like do a little bit more research and think more about this because I'm sure there are many smart people who've written about it. But Alicia Keys said, as she was talking about music, that it is, it's our shared global language. And I thought that was such a beautiful way of thinking about it. And maybe it's that music is one of those things that anyone can do. You don't have to like have a camera. It doesn't have to be high budget. I mean, you could say the same thing for film now in these days with the iPhone, but it wasn't always like that. I think music spans languages more easily. She brought out a couple of other ladies with her in the intro, Jada Pinkett Smith, Jennifer Lopez, Lady Gaga, and Michelle Obama, which was like, people were like crying in the audience. They were so happy. And Michelle Obama also said, music allows us to hear each other and to invite each other in. And I just think in today's like culture with, you know, inclusion and acceptance and kind of not judging other people, but looking at each other with goodness and love that it was just a really nice message. And it was nice to see a whole bunch of women up there with the exception of JLo's most ridiculous hat. You couldn't even see her eyes when she was talking. She was wearing this like giant sombrero. She looked beautiful and badass, but that sombrero, I just couldn't, I could not handle it. Anyway, all this to be said is just I just felt from the get-go that it was just this different vibe, and I really liked it. And I wish that there was a way that film could kind of relax a little bit. I think you're definitely right about the how it kicked off. I think part of the problem with the Grammys is that it's billed as an award show, but it really ends up being this really long, extended performance of a bunch of different people. And they vary in quality. Some and, and they pair people together, and it doesn't always make sense when they're pairing artists together. So there were definitely some highs and lows in the performances. And I just think that they could condense it a little bit. I think it just went on a little bit too long. With the, It just felt like it had a little bit of excess with it. They could have cut maybe three or four performances a little better job the storytelling or the narrative it just felt like it went on and on i had we recorded it and i had to record the news afterwards to be able to get the whole thing did you feel like i did how that it was so much different from the other award shows it definitely feels different but but i think part of that is because it's it feels like a concert it feels like this big tribute concert to the music of the past year which is fun and exciting but they also don't get everybody that they could to perform. You know, you you missed out on some of the biggest performers. People like Childish Gambino didn't perform. He wasn't even there. He won two of the biggest awards of the night. He didn't even come. And then you had someone like Drake, who won a Grammy last night, who has been extremely critical of the Grammys. And halfway through his speech, he started talking about how people don't need awards. And they cut him off. And they went to commercial. And it just felt a little bit awkwardly produced yeah. in that sense. I think that they have some work to do in terms of 
making the production feel a little bit more cohesive. But I agree, it definitely feels different than the TV and and movie awards. And I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that they can share bigger pieces of their art in a shorter time period. So a song is usually, you know, average of three to four minutes. You can't show a whole movie. You can't show a whole TV show. So you're left with these little clips that don't always represent what it is that, you know, you're trying to celebrate. So I think the Grammys have an advantage in that sense. I will say there were some lackluster performances and, and one in particular that I think Maureen and I agree about was not great was Lady Gaga did a... I never said she wasn't great. I think no, she's... No, no, no. She is a great performer, but I'm talking about this particular performance. It was just sad that she, did, she didn't have Bradley to do it with. She did a rendition of the song Shallow, which won two Grammys. And the problem with the song is that in the movie A Star is Born, where the song is from, she sings it as her character, Allie, and Bradley Cooper sings it as his character, Jackson Maine. And when she performed it on the Grammys, she was singing it as Lady Gaga. And it just didn't quite work for me. It was very much of like a power ballad as opposed to this slow build of a really powerful song. And it wasn't done as a duet. And I just think it didn't quite work. I didn't mean to speak for you, Maureen. Yeah, I just I didn't know. love that performance. I'm just really into Gaga lately. Did you have any favorite performances? Again, I'm not cool with music, so it's embarrassing that I haven't heard of her, but Brandy Carlisle performed, and I was, like, stopped in my tracks. I was mesmerized. You're feeling nervous, aren't you, boy? With your quiet voice and impeccable style Don't ever let them steal your joy And your gentle ways to keep them from running wild They can kick dirt in your face Dress you down and tell you That your place is in the middle When they hate the way you shine I see you tugging on your shirt Trying to hide inside of it And hide how much it hurts intoxicating and it was so powerful she's got this like raw kind of it's like folk country soul rock i mean she just is this powerhouse voice and she sang the song and like brought the house down and so i've been actually listening to a lot of her stuff now at work while i'm kind of just you know in the zone concentrating so it's been nice to kind of discover her she's a new artist to me even though she's been around the block. I think that will about do it for the snack bag this week. But before we move on, Maureen, what should we do? I think we should hear a word from our sponsor. Let's do it. Do you ever listen to an episode of the Popcast and think, man, I'd love to give podcasting a try? Or maybe you think to yourself, that Josh, he's a hack. I could do my own show about pop culture. I'd want to keep Maureen though. She's great. Well, I've got good news for you. 
Anchor, the very platform we use for the podcast, is the easiest way to make a podcast. Their platform is super simple to use and gives you everything you need to make your show in one place, either on your phone or on your computer. And the best part? It's completely free to use. They have the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast, and they'll take care of distribution so you can make your voice heard everywhere from Apple Podcasts to Spotify to Google Podcasts and more. You can also make money from your podcast and get this, there is no minimum listenership required to start making money. So what are you waiting for? Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Okay, back to the show. Josh, let's jump into the main event, the, the marquee main event, topic. The marquee topic. This week we are talking about the Fire Festival and the Fire Festival documentaries that came about. So if you're not familiar, don't worry. You can still follow along because I'm going to give you a little bit of background before we start. So in 2017, the world witnessed one of the biggest public music failures of all time with the positively disastrous Fire Festival. The festival, which was created by entrepreneur and now convicted felon Billy McFarland and rapper Ja Rule, was supposed to be a weekend-long festival featuring a who's who of celebrities and influencers to essentially launch and market a new platform called Fire that was supposed to be, quote, the Uber of booking talent, end quote. But the festival, which was supposed to happen on a private island in the Bahamas, was so poorly planned and executed that attendees were met with unlivable conditions when they arrived, and a small fraction, that's even putting it nicely, of what they were promised in the lavish packages they had purchased. Oh, and most of the musical talent pulled out before the festival even started, so half the talent put there up there was Instagram. no talent that there, no, no, there, talent no concert showed. ended up happening right but but the talent pulled out before people even started going down there to the bahamas so now just a year and a half later we have not one but two documentaries on the subject the first called fire fraud was released by hulu the second was called fire the greatest party that never happened was released by netflix just four days after the hulu documentary to me, this is sort of like the Armageddon Deep Impact or the Volcano Dante's Peak of our time. You remember those? They, they, these similar sounding movies coming out at the same time? I didn't remember the volcano ones, but I super love the analogy about Armageddon. And Deep Impact. It actually makes sense because that was about the end of the world and this was about the end of some people's worlds because they were so sad about what happened. And so broke. And so broke afterwards. Okay, so let's start by talking about what is your overall impression of the disaster that is the fire festival so first of all for everyone listening if you're not driving right now it's f-y-r-e so if you're like what is this and you want to like look it up on your phone fire f-y-r-e hashtag fire festival you'll see probably like so much drama watching these documentaries i just couldn't believe that this colossal failure had happened. The reason that it became so exacerbated too is because this was billed as like this luxury event so people, and they were targeting millennials, so young people, a lot of 20-somethings, were spending thousands of dollars on these tickets, and then their money was just completely lost. Like, they got there, and there were soaking wet tents, and no music festival, and no food, and no planes, and like, it was it was this, like, horrifying thing. So they didn't get their money back, which is why Billy's kind of in jail right now, part, partially, is that he, like, promised all these things and kept selling tickets. And to me, it's, like, the mark of a crazy person 
who is like pathological in his behavior, just being like, yeah, we can do this. Yeah, we can do this. Yeah, we can do this. There's optimism and then there's irresponsibility when you have that much at stake. And it wasn't just the people who bought tickets. It was like he couldn't pay his the people who had worked, all these Bahamians who had worked for him for like a month, you know, weeks and weeks. He didn't pay people. He like – it just it, – it's sad to me, but it's also like disgusting. Like he's this like – his persona that he created for himself is like rich kid entrepreneur. You know, it's like he cared about renting jet skis all day and like being drunk all the time and like drinking the finest things. And again, this is what we are shown in these documentaries. So that's the persona I have of him. But based on his previous venture and then the fire festival, I just think he was all about the brand and there was no substance there. And it's just really surprising to me that all of the smart people that were working around him let him get away with it that far. Someone should have eventually said no. And no one did. No one did. Well, I think that to that point, people thought they were going to get paid. I think there was... The people on the inside knew there was no money. They interview all of these people in the documentary. So you see like a lot of different people on his team who now have no problem throwing him under the bus. So I I think that Billy McFarland is a serial fraudster, and he's a master at that. So when he says, I have an investor who's going to invest $10 million, I think people believed him. But he wasn't, it wasn't like this was like some kind of scam where he was pocketing the money. It wasn't like he was a fraudster and he was like, you know, going to steal all these people's money and then put it all in a bank account and go live on it. He was squandering it. It was he was literally like pissing it away, trying to make this thing happen. But his he was return, so unorganized. His return was what he wanted, which was influence. He wanted to be an influencer. And that's where I think he's a narcissist. I think it all comes back to like him wanting to feel that importance, feel like he's, you know, making this amazing thing. I, I don't know. It was just hard to watch at times. I think that to Maureen's point, the saddest part is the people who were really hurt by this. There's a woman in the Netflix documentary who's interviewed who has a restaurant and she ended up having to pay out of her own savings to sort of support the workers she had to hire and to to provide for all these people who were stuck on this island. And she lost a bunch of her own money. Now, the the good news that came out of it was that after the documentary happened, someone started a GoFundMe and raised more than the money she'd put in. So she's now been repaid, which is great. But it's just sad that all these people were sort of swindled and didn't get what they were promised. Now, the whole problem with the festival, which is actually not you know, when you look at it from like a 30,000 foot view, it's not a terrible idea. This cool idea of like a luxury festival in the Bahamas. But the problem is, is that they started talking about it in December of 2016, and they wanted to put on the festival in April of 2017. That's four months. That is not enough time to plan anything. Why did anyone sign on to this? Because if someone says, hey, I've got a check for you, I'll pay you you know, a premium to help me put on this festival, why would you say no? You're a business. You're trying to get business. They had no reason to know up front that he was going to, you know, sort of cheat them out of their money. But if you were a seasoned festival producer, as some of these people were who were working on this, wouldn't you think to yourself, this seems like it's going to be really hard or nearly impossible? I don't know. I just, and maybe there are people that he that did say no, and they clearly aren't in the documentary because they weren't part of the fray. So maybe that's maybe that's a thing. And maybe it was only the stupid people who were like, yeah, Billy, I'm in. I just like, I mean, some of the links that these people in the documentary 
we're going to go to. And I'm not, if you've seen it, there's one that's particularly potentially lewd. So I'm not going to go into it on this family podcast. But like, you just watch this person saying that they were willing to do this thing. And you're like, what? No. Why would that ever be the case? Like, as a rational person, you would walk away and say, no, I like I have a line here. And it just seems like these people were willing to follow Billy to like the end of the earth. I think it's easier in hindsight to say that, of course, this was a ridiculous thing. I will say that one of the documentaries, I can't remember which one, points out that typically you spend up to 18 months planning a festival of this size and this scale. And they were going to try to do it in four months. And not only that, it was the very first time they were going to do it. So it was I think it was doomed to fail from the beginning. So let's talk a little bit about these the documentaries themselves, there were two, the Hulu one and the Netflix one. Did you have one that you preferred over the other one? I watched the Hulu one first. So I think I liked that one better only because that was my introduction to this. And I felt like it gave a lot of the backstory. I liked that it gave the backstory of Billy's first company, um, Magnesis. So you get this sense of like, okay, he already had this semi-sketchy, like, image-based company. I think it painted more of a picture of like his history rather than just the fire festival's like an innocent mess up that he had. They interviewed Billy in the Hulu one and I don't think that was necessary because he says literally nothing of value and just looks kind of creepy. And then the Netflix one though had some really good footage in it from the Jerry Media guys that I liked. Here's here's my big thought. They freaking didn't need two documentaries on this. These teams should have teamed up and made one better documentary than the two that they made. It That's was really interesting. completely unnecessary that there are two identical documentaries. It's not even like one takes a different take. They're the same take. It's the same narrative. I think that, yes, they are the, generally the same narrative. I do think they have two different conclusions, which, which we'll talk about in a minute. I actually like the Netflix one more. And I actually think I could watch more documentaries on this Fire Are Festival. you joking? No, I think I could watch 10 documentaries on no. the Fire Festival. I'm fascinated they by this. They didn't give me any new information. If every new documentary provided some new detail, but it was like the same details just heard from a different person. I am ready to see sort of a fictionalized version of this. I think that would be fun to watch. And and I did hear that The Lonely Island that's composed of Andy Samberg and, and his crew and then Seth Rogen, they're teaming up to do a Fire Festival-like fictional movie. So that'll be interesting. But I will say about the Netflix documentary, I think the reason that I like it more than the Hulu one, and it's it's interesting, I did see the Netflix one first, so maybe it is whichever one you see first, you might like more. But the reason that I like the Netflix one more is because I think that the people they got, that they interviewed, were cl- more closely associated with the actual festival. So you got a little bit more insight as to what went wrong and how it all fell apart. And I thought that was that was pretty interesting. The other thing that I want to point out about the Hulu documentary is that they do it in a style that is slightly different. So if you're watching the Hulu documentary, they'll be talking about something like, you know, he was he was like whack-a-mole, like with all the people he was knocking down. And then they'll cut to like a shot of a kid like actually playing whack-a-mole in an old arcade. And that's sort of like an interesting style of editing and filmmaking that was made popular by MTV back in the day. That's not an original thought of mine. I heard that somewhere else. But I did notice that when I watched the Hulu documentary that that's true. You did mention, Maureen, that Billy McFarland is interviewed. They did a sit-down interview with him in the Hulu documentary. And I'm with you. I think it actually, not only is it not helpful in the Hulu documentary, I actually think it detracts from the production because he provides such little information. And half the time he's like, I can't speak on that because my lawyer, you know, said I can't talk about it. This is before he was convicted and sent to jail for six years. 
I just feel like he actually detracts from the overall image of what they were trying to portray in the film. So I thought that was interesting. I think this brings up like a bigger point, not just about this particular fire festival disaster, but what does this say to you with regards to this quote unquote influencer culture that we live in? Because the reason people were interested in it in the first place is because they put together this extremely slick marketing video with a bunch of celebrities and models and quote unquote influencers. And they put it online and people were like, I want to be a part of that. What does it what does it say about our culture that that people who have done really nothing, to my knowledge, have the have influence over millennials and and Gen Z and and really anybody who's young? So I think these guys are marketing geniuses or accidental geniuses or the Jerry Media guys who put the campaign together are marketing geniuses who made these guys look good. But had this festival actually happened? Like, had the production elements been there, it would have been a smash hit. Like, people were flocking to this. People were – and it wasn't even just like, oh, this is a cool concert. I want to be there. I'm going to buy a ticket. It was, I'm going to spend thousands of dollars or I'm going to quit my job or I'm going to – like, people were taking extreme measures that they wanted to be there this badly. I think in terms of what it says about our culture is that there's this – I don't know how healthy it is. I mean, like, what it is is this, like – not even fear of missing out, but just like wanting so badly to be part of something that is perceived as cool that you're willing to sacrifice other things for it. Now, that being said, I could argue against myself and say, maybe someone just saw, oh, wow, all these famous people are going to this event. This event looks really pretty and cool. And I like these artists. That would be fun. So I think there is an element of genuine interest in a concert on a beach where you can drink and eat and be merry. But I think that the way in which this particular campaign like went viral or went crazy and were able to get all these people signing up and giving Billy McFarland all their money is because of the influencers. And it, it was like supermodels and then social media influencers, meaning people who are on social media and make their living by having a lot of followers and sharing things and having those things get sold and then getting commissions or getting paid to post something. So some of these influencers were like paid $250,000 to do one post about Fire Festival. But Fire had so many hit so many of these people that they were able to basically create this like blackout. Like they they for a short period of time owned so many of the major influencers that they or had bought so many of the major influencers posts that they created such a splash that it kind of went from there. I I just don't really know what to think about like this influencer culture. It, it sort of boggles my mind that people make money by having followers. I mean, it makes sense from a business standpoint. If you have a reach and the business wants to put something out there, then the person with that reach is a good way into that market. I just don't know I, I don't understand, and, and and I think I don't understand particularly because we are of the age of people they were they would have been targeting. I didn't even see any of the fire ads. I had never even heard the word F Y R E Fire Festival until these documentaries. See, I had heard about it when it was happening. So, like when the disastrous yeah, part was happening, I was following all these. I was articles. on maternity leave, so I was like, not. Nah. Yeah, you were. You were. I out was of out of it, but I, I was aware that it was happening, but we are of the age group that they were targeting. And I just have almost a negative interest in something like this. If someone like 
supermodel Bella Hadid says, come to this cool fire festival, you know, event in the Bahamas. And here's this cool video of me swimming with these pigs in the water. That to me doesn't, that doesn't do anything for me. And I don't so, know if I'm an outlier. I, I just don't, I don't understand. I, I'm not influenced by these influencers in the same way that apparently a lot of people are. So I just don't understand. By other influencers. Like you watch people who make documentaries or who do film stuff. And if all of them, if every single film guy or independent video maker you ever watched and follow, if they all posted like, you've got to come to this video conference, this one day video conference is going to be a game changer. I'm going, now you may not f- completely fall into it, but I bet you would click on it and I bet you would go to the website and I bet you would see what it was but all about. But don't you think there's a difference between that, which is a tangible come learn something or come to this, you know, video festival? Well, this was getting to my point is that I think the people who fell under the spell of fire and the people who were following all of these particular influencers, influencers who are not experts in anything, but influencers who just are popular, there is an element to this that is so hashtag Bradley and Gaga shallow like that is to me why why it's so like unbelievable to me is because there is no substance to this there is no it's not like a cult or like something that is based on this belief system it's just i want to be part of something that's cool i think you put it you put it well and i think that we should exclude the people who went down there thinking like oh i I think this would be fun to do with my friends and it's a cool concert and I love Blink-182 who is one of the headliners. I don't think those people were going because this was so expensive. Yeah, you're right. The price point priced out people who just liked those bands. Right, you would just go to your local venue to see the Blink-182 if you really wanted to see them. Billy was preying on people who were maybe, again, this is my interpretation and completely unsubstantiated, but he was praying he was targeting people who were insecure enough or shallow enough that the image of what they were able to project by being a part of this thing was what they were buying they were not buying tickets to a concert that they were buying being in the bahamas and cool. taking an instagram yeah, they photo were buying and saying popularity. Look, look where i was yeah. yeah okay so that leads into my last question here which is who is to blame for the disaster and and i want to and i want to Billy. Well, well, okay. So that's the easy if answer. If people want to buy tickets to popularity, they can buy tickets to popularity. But the t- what he was selling something, they chose to buy it. The problem was he didn't actually have that product to sell, and that's on him. So I think that this is where the two documentaries diverge in terms of their conclusion, because I think the Netflix documentary clearly paints Billy McFarlane as the villain, and he is the he's the reason that this failed and he is the source of the problems. I think the Hulu documentary, on the other hand, puts a lot of the blame on the people who bought into it. And I don't know. I think I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to... Maybe it's not the way I would live my life, but if it makes you really happy or you care more about the popularity things or that's what's really important to you, then you should get to choose how you spend your money. But the problem was they bought something and that something didn't exist. They shouldn't be punished for wanting to buy something. I think that the Hulu documentary, though, makes it sort of like millennials were duped and they should have known better. And they should have. How could you have known? Because what they were buying was, to your point, really a fantasy. Because 
there was probably no way that it was ever going to be like the marketing video that they but put together. But devil's advocate, we know that now. How would you know that? If you went to a beautiful website and you saw a beautiful video and you saw packages being sold and packages selling out and their social media campaign was great, their online presence, their digital presence, again, marketing geniuses, they had a great agency, their marketing presence was beautiful. There was nothing, how, what, would, what would millennials have needed to find to think that they were not credible. And it's not that the festival like this could never have been pulled off. It probably could have been pulled off in that time period. If there had, yes, it would have been really hard, but if there was a credible person leading it or someone with unlimited funding or someone who had, the problem with Billy was he advertised before he had secured anything. So like there was no private island. But if if someone had, secured those things before they started advertising, it is possible. It's not probable. It's not easy. It's not likely. But it's not like so impossible. It's not like they were buying tickets to a concert on Mars and they were like realistically thinking they were going to be trained to go into space. And You know what I mean? Like this was possible. It just was run by a clown show. Okay. So let me put it this way then. Was it possible for Billy to defraud people because he knew that people were influenced like this. So was it really like, yes, he, he, I'm with you. I think he's the villain in this. I think he was to blame, but he wouldn't have been able to pull this off if people weren't so easily influenced by slick marketing and this idea of a fantasy world. And so does that fall on millennials? Like the, the generation that we are a part of and the generation that's following us, does that enable people like Billy McFarland to do things like this. The thing that I find most fascinating about these documentaries and this whole thing is that it allows us to sort of look into the culture that we live in and sort of examine, do we have our priorities straight? I just I, find it yeah. really, it's it's more it's more interesting to me like as a social a, commentary. Yeah, social commentary and character studies as opposed to anything else. I, I agree, but I, I just keep coming back to, I think the, that for someone to say, oh, stupid millennials, you're shallow, you should never have wanted this. Or, oh, stupid millennials, you should have known better. I think that's ridiculous. I think that regardless of your age or what generation you were born in, if you want to go to a really fancy music festival just so that you can take pictures with your friends, that's your right, and you can spend your money on that if you want to. I don't think that millennials should be judged for what they want to spend their money on. Like that, I don't think, was part of the problem here. It's not the fact that these certain people just cared about going to a fancy festival and taking pictures with their friends. If that's what they want to buy, uh, look, again, this is not the choice I would make. I would not find that attractive. Like, I don't think that we should be, like, forwarding those ideals. Like, obviously, I think this is a little bit shallow. But, like, if that's their cup of tea, I don't think it's fair to judge them for that. I think it's more of the influencers allowed Billy and the fire team to almost weaponize their marketing campaign. Like it became this like, like really powerful tool and they were using it to rapidly sell high priced tickets. I, I think the larger social commentary is, okay, our social media influencers a bad thing. Well, I think this is fascinating. We could probably talk about this for a long time, but I think you made some really good points and I, we'd be interested in what you think too. So if you've seen either these documentaries or you have any thoughts on- Or you bought a ticket. If you bought a ticket, we want to talk to you on the podcast. We will interview you. We want to interview you. Before we jump into teasers for this week, I want to give you a little bit of a heads up that next week on the podcast, our marquee topic is going to be talking about the film A Star is Born, but not just the new one. 
Morning and I are on a quest to watch all four. We're halfway there. We're halfway there so far. Oh, we're halfway there. Oh, watching all four Star is Borns. Good one. So we are watching all four uh, films, A Star is Born, the 1937 version, the 1954 version, the 1976 version, and then the 2018 version, which we've seen. We're going to talk about them. We're going to compare and contrast. So if you haven't seen them, I'd at least watch the new one if you can, because that's the going to be the main jumping off point. But if you have a chance to watch the other ones, go ahead and check them out and we'll talk through them next week. And even if you haven't seen them, we'll give you a little bit of background so that you can follow along. Okay, let's jump into teasers. Maureen. What do you got for us this well, week? Well, mine turned out to be timely because of one of our snack bag topics, but mine is a throwback. So mine is the Beatles One album. Uh, this was originally released in 2000, and it quickly became the fastest selling album of all time, featuring 27 of the Beatles' most significant singles, all of which reached number one in the US or UK charts. And this is something that I grew up listening to with my dad and my stepmom and my brother and sister and I would all like listen to this in the car. I just love it's basically like the Beatles' best songs, like Eight Days a Week. I think Hey Jude is on there. I like the earlier ones better. So it's been a hard day's night. I've been working like a dog. I mean, like, there's just it's it's really, really fun. And I turned it on the other day when I was like straightening up the house and it just made me really joyful. So check it out if you need some good work or driving or cleaning music. My teaser this week, I had the opportunity to see the documentary Free Solo in IMAX, and I cannot recommend it enough. The film chronicles acclaimed climber Alex Honnold's attempt to free solo the 3,000-foot wall of El Capitan in Yosemite, which is to climb the entire thing without the use of ropes or support. It's just him, his climbing shoes, and his chalk bag. But what makes the film so great is the exploration of Alex as a character. So what makes him tick, how he thinks about his own mortality, how he approaches his relationships. It's truly a fascinating study of the human person. And added to that, his free solo of El Cap is one of the most impressive accomplishments in human history. It's often compared to the moon landing in terms of sheer difficulty, skill required, and bravery. The last thing I want to add about the film is that it's amazingly captured and put together by directors Jimmy Chin and Chai Vassarelli. They are a husband and wife team of documentarians. The images they capture on his climb of El Capitan are simply stunning. And seeing it in IMAX, it was just incredible to see what they were able to capture. If you do see the film, and I highly encourage you to see it, see it on the biggest screen you can see it it's so worth it to do so so if you can see it in a movie theater see it there if you can see it on a big projector on a screen if you have an 80 inch tv as i know one of my friends does who listens to the podcast watch it on that i will say that since seeing the film i've gone down sort of a rabbit hole of watching climbing videos and learning about climbing and this is all despite the fact that you should join a climbing gym you should like get a little day pass and try it out this is all despite the fact that i am in no way shape or form a climber myself i don't even think i could i don't even think i could make it up a little wall i'm just saying just try there's one i think in alexandria i might try it so you never know we'll give you a climbing update from me in a couple weeks see if i see if i try it out stool update and climbing update no let's not talk about the stool all right that will do it for this week thank you guys so much for listening you can leave us feedback comments or questions on each episode by going to vernacularpodcast.com slash popcast we would love to hear from you and we would especially love to hear what you want to hear about on the show 
You can also reach us by emailing the podcast at vernacularpodcast.com. Please also subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We put out a new one every Friday, and if it's not too much trouble, please drop us a rating or a review. It helps other people find our show. We'll be back next week, as always, sitting cross-legged on our bedroom floor with a brand new episode. Bye, everyone. Bye. Tell me something, boy. Are you happy trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? While you're sitting on our bedroom floor, I'm recording this podcast because I love you on Thanks, honey. Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day.